Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, a podcast that helps marketers navigate the news, trends, opportunities, and insights surrounding Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, Alberto. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm feeling good. Um, however, I'm feeling a bit sad as well. Uh, the first uh, piece of news that we're going to be covering today reminded me that uh, I don't have any cool bugs in uh, my bedroom or in my you know place where I get dressed, basically. There's the, the, the bag is not something I have in my repertoire of uh, clothing, and uh, I am missing this, this part, uh, I think. Uh, what do, you, do you have any bags? Uh, you know what? I, I don't have any bags. I, I have I have a suitcase, I, but I don't have, no, but I, I don't have any kind of other luggage or certainly nothing trendy. No, it's not, it's not luggage. Come on. It's, uh, it's, we're talking bags, you know, like manly bags that you just have this bag and then you put stuff on it, you know, like, uh, no, but you know what? On my last trip, I was thinking I need one of those bags. Do you know where I can find hmm. one? Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, yes. Uh, so you could, you could get a speedy bag which uh, with this name is probably going to be very helpful for you in your travels if you want to get to your place or to the place that you're traveling in a quick manner. So you can get a speedy bag if you have, if you have a Louboutin Toisoui trunk NFT valued at uh, $43,780. $43,000? Yes. Well, you, but you I'm get to have to know bag. more about this bag before I can plunk down $43,000. But tell me about this NFT. Yes, yeah, so you, you ha- if you have this NFT from Louboutin, you know Louboutin, the brand. We've talked about them in the past. They, they are doing a lot of things with NFTs. And um, yeah, they just uh, got this arrangement, this collaboration with uh, Pharrell Williams, the singer. At least I thought he was only a singer, but he's also a designer. I didn't know this part. So he's also a designer and he's designed this... Uh, well, he's redesigned this uh, speedy bag. This speedy bag, this model of a bag from uh, Louboutin is actually 100 years old, I believe, and it's been redesigned by, by Pharrell Williams. And uh, you can obtain this uh, speedy bag if you have one of these NFTs that Louboutin put out for sale or made available in the past. So if you have one of these um, NFTs, then you receive both a digital and a tangible version of the named speedy bag that's that's the story interesting okay so our friend pharrell he's actually the creative director over at louis vuitton uh so he's making a lot of these interesting decisions around experimentation and keeping louis vuitton on the edge of creativity and like did you know this I, i i did know this i just didn't know that i thought i thought he was only a singer but i'm well i'm a music guy so I learned about his new adventure in fashion uh, through the mm-hmm. music side of his career. This made him happy, I guess. That's <laughs> how you cross over from music to fashion. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's making these decisions. He's, he's helping Louis Vuitton kind of find their footing in new experimental ways. And so uh, what they're doing here with this treasure trunk NFT being a sort of unlock, right? It becomes this way that you unlock a digital and a physical version of this speedy bag. Um, I think that's a pattern we've seen before in the space where the NFT serves as your key. And 
what they're also talking about is like exclusive perks that go along with holding one of these treasure trunk NFTs. And so what those perks are, um, I don't think they've announced yet. But the cool thing about NFTs, and we've talked about this many times before, is that once a customer has uh, one of those NFTs and it's their key, if you will, to unlock these different kinds of perks or benefits, um, that's kind of a blank slate to create a relationship with customers. And so as Louis Vuitton finds new ways to engage their customers, be it through uh, something experiential, like they're going to go have an experience, maybe they're going to go to uh, the, you know, they're going to go to Cannes, like uh, the film festival, or, you know, there's going to be some other event that's exclusive and sort of aligns with their audience's preferences um, and the things that they want to enjoy. Because they have that treasure trunk NFT now, and it's an unlock, they can keep delivering as much value as they think is appropriate for their customers to create that relationship and have that ongoing conversation. So this is a pattern we've seen before. I think this is a pattern we're going to keep seeing play out. Um, I think the other thing, too, that they're doing here is, you know, with a price tag like $43,000, I don't know about you, but that's a little out of my price range for a bag. (laughs) Is it? Uh, Really? A a little bit. You know, I'm I'm, I'm more maybe the sub-1,000. And beyond that, maybe the sub $100, <laughs> you can tell that I don't have very good bag taste, but um, their audience obviously knows bags a lot better and they understand the value of bags. And so the way they've priced this NFT, I think aligns with their luxury ethos. They're definitely targeting their core customers who are used to paying really high prices for luxury items. And so they're not trying to use Web3 as a method to pivot into a new audience so much as creating a new way to engage the people that they're already uh, creating relationships for their existing customers, those people that understand the value and just see this Web3 aspect as a value add. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting uh, lesson. Again, we've seen this we've seen this before in the space, but curious, what do you think? Yeah, I like that comment that you made because um, so in the past, um, justifiably or maybe not, uh, a lot of um, comments have um, suggested that people that are interested in crypto and NFTs uh, are people who like gambling. Or the, so we have this idea of uh, a person that likes this kind of uh, digital assets. And um, what Louboutin is doing here, in a way, is creating um, NFTs that um, appeal to their audience, to the to the audience that they have already. So to, to people that are willing to pay over $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 for, for a bag. And they are making these people see that the NFTs could also be uh, a very interesting thing that uh, is uh, within the things that uh, interest this kind of people and this kind of person. So it's, um, in a way, it's, um, it's making this cool enough if that's one way to put it for for this um, for this audience right now when i when i when i say cool uh, i could be it could be it could be said in any other way but what i mean is that you are basically appealing to your to your audience and you're making you're making nfts that are yeah ready for for this kind of a person whereas um in the past yeah we probably had this uh, very narrow verse uh, vision of who could be interested in these uh, digital assets and, uh, and and NFTs, right? Because before we call them NFTs, uh, I guess uh, now this this could be called more like a digital collectible, which I guess sounds more like um, the kind of asset that they're trying to to sell in here. And another thing that uh, we were talking about uh, when we came across this this piece of news, and I think uh, it would be very interesting for for you to to share your thoughts on this, is uh, that the other day. 
I was um, uh, in TikTok for no reason. And uh, I came across this account. And this account is basically a guy looking at uh, strange things that he sees. And in one of uh, his, uh, in one of his uh, videos, he's looking at, um, at uh, people in the runway in the in a fashion runway uh, showcasing um, designs that nobody would ever try on and nobody would ever put uh, on themselves to walk in the street and uh, basically the the guy is showing his face and his expression when looking at this at these uh, designs so it's uh, it's something that is <laughs> like beyond the um, normal or beyond reality but that it somewhat makes its way to uh, what becomes normal in the future, and it's and this all happens thanks to these uh, to these fashion companies. And uh, you, you had a you had a comment or like a, yeah an, an insight on this that I would like for you to to share. Yeah, the um, the insight here is that particularly in the fashion world, we see this a lot where you have you have runway fashion, which is very high fashion. It's fashion, you know, you, you've got these very esteemed designers that are doing crazy things with clothing. To your point, like nobody would wear this stuff, right? Most people wouldn't even try it on. But what that's doing is, you know, these designers, they're experimenting. They're experimenting with uh, material. They're experimenting with technique. They're experimenting with flow. They're experimenting with color. And they're doing this all in a very large or a very big kind of uh, exciting, interesting, shocking way. And... While we might look at that and say, well, that's not for me, I would never wear that. And again, most of us never would. What inevitably happens is those designers then inform the designers that are a layer down that now are making maybe more luxury, but everyday clothing. And those designs influence the designers beneath them, which are the everyday clothing designers, right? So those are the clothes that you or I might wear. And inevitably what happens is some of those ideas and those patterns and those trends they make their way down to even the clothes that you and I are wearing every day. And that's where things like seasonality come from. You know, when there's a new fashion trend, that probably got started on a runway somewhere. And that idea then sort of made its way through the entire production chain for clothing until it's been sort of uh, made more accessible. And it's something that I can go in and I can try on and say, yeah, I like that. And this happens in other industries too. You know, another idea that comes to mind is like, cars right so you have the idea of a concept car and these concept cars they're wild they're way out there they're very high performance or they're very high technology and of course you couldn't ever produce that car you couldn't make that car a roadworthy car but what it does is it starts planting seeds and ideas and opportunities for experimentation to make elements of that car more roadworthy that do make their way into cars that we drive every day and I think the same thing is happening with Web3. With Web3, we're, start, we're, you know, we're in this place where we're seeing a lot of crazy experimentation. We're seeing things like $43,000 NFTs that they're not for the every person, right? There's a very small percentage of the world that's really actually going to use that or get value from that. But some of these patterns like exclusive access, like embracing the community, like creating the surface area to have better conversations with your customers, that those, those ideas and those trends, they're going to make their way into our everyday experiences as consumers. You know, when you look at things like membership programs, for instance, you look at things like Walmart Plus and Prime, you know, all of these programs that are designed to create this sort of evergreen and ongoing conversation with the consumer, 
And it's all because of this sort of access through this membership. I think we're on the same path with Web3. I think Web3, in 10 years, we're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, remember that crazy idea that uh, Louis Vuitton had when they sold that $43,000 NFT and it unlocked that bag? That might be something that's very common for less expensive products, you know, where you're getting the digital version when you buy the physical version or vice versa. Because who knows, by then, you know, maybe we are in the metaverse and, and we have a much more virtual first lifestyle. So I guess my takeaway is that this, we're starting in a very sort of abstract and experimental place. And I think this is going to continue to distill its way down to much more practical applications for businesses and consumers. Well, since um, you cannot afford a 43,000 uh, back, probably the next piece of news is of no interest for you. But anyway, I'm going to go for it. So Indosuez, uh, that's a global wealth management arm of a, leading, of a French bank called uh, Credit Agricole, uh, has launched Le Clou Trois or Le Club, probably Le Club, but we need to explain this. Um, and that is a private NFT-driven membership club for their, of course, high-end clientele who can afford these pricey bags. So uh, this is what has uh, happened by, by Indosuez. Uh, the, the reason why I said Le Clou Toi or Le Club is because they're playing with the, the, the B. So when you say the, when, you, when I say Le Club, uh, well, the, spell, the spelling is uh, L-E and the space and there's C-L-U-3. And uh, you can you can read this as a Le Club, which makes more sense. I, I didn't catch this before, but uh, Nick did. And <laughs> and uh, when you when you when you catch it and when you read it this way, then you realize that oh, they're making a play here with the three, the club, and the Web three part of uh, the whole idea. Anyway, the point is that this uh, private bank is uh, creating an exclusive exclusive sorry exclusive uh, membership and is basing this membership on nfts and this is cool because i think it's the first time we get to talk of a private bank doing something like this what do you think yeah so again this is probably uh out of my spending bracket but you know this is interesting because we're seeing an industry that typically has either you know very lightly embraced web3 or maybe just the crypto side of of uh, what we're talking about and now they're starting to venture into some other ideas like nft driven membership um what's interesting here is that you know this is obviously aimed at a very small slice of their clientele they're looking for affluent uh customers who can you know afford and probably become very good customers or have been very good customers for the bank and they're offering you know very specific services that only their affluent customers are really going to take advantage of. Um, but what they're doing here with this membership club is thinking about how do you start creating community out of that? And this is a trend that we've seen more widely with um, service-based businesses. We've seen it with uh, financial services where these companies are trying to go above and beyond just a transactional or even an advisory relationship. They're actually trying to create community amongst their customers. And why that's important is because it, it reinforces the customer behavior, the customer mindset. You know, when you walk into a club and it's people just like you and you all have similarities and you talk about the same things and you can afford the same level of lifestyle, like there is a there's something attractive about that to people, I think. And, and so they look at this and they say, I want to stay in the club. 
right? And so once you get that pass to be in the club, you get the behind the scenes view of what it's like to be a client. And now you can get access to things that other clients can't get access to. And so it's a customer segmentation technique at the end of the day. Um, but I think, you know, this is a pattern again that we'll start to see play out more and more as businesses are really trying to understand like, where are my highest value customers? And how can I provide the best experience to them so that they remain my high value customers for a lot long? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Step 3, an engagement marketing platform that helps brands build deeper customer relationships. Step 3 makes it easy to design custom branded membership programs that include rewards like exclusive content, VIP event passes, merchandise, discounts, and more. Unlock new revenue streams and enhance customer lifetime value with Step 3's easy-to-use no-code tools. Go to step3.io to learn more. What I like from this piece of news is that they are using NFTs as a um, marketing and cre community creating tool. So the community creating, community creating part you've covered already, but they're also using this in a way to market uh, their product, their services to a younger clientele. So apparently there are, there are, there are these people, young people, people younger than me that uh, can... Uh, can uh, be clients of a private bank. And this private bank is uh, trying to appeal to these people. These, uh, they call them next generation clients uh, that could be interested in, in NFTs and, uh, and, and see that uh, this, is, um, this is a trend that they want to get into. And if they, if they see this happening in a, for, in a, in a private bank such as, such as this one, they may think, oh, this private bank is cooler, is, 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 uh, let's say more young uh, related or more young oriented, sorry, um, kind of private bank and um, potentially, you know, appeal to this, to this younger generation of uh, rich people who apparently exist somewhere. And, uh, and yes, so this, I think, I think the, the marketing part, it's, uh, it's also interesting. And uh, another aspect that I found interesting in this piece of news and that we are um, surprisingly seeing this uh, happen uh, often now is that these NFTs that are that they are launching and that, that, that they are creating to give access to this um, community? They are also soul bound, meaning that you cannot um, sell them. You cannot. Uh, I mean, they, they belong to you. Basically, they are non transferable. And we saw this, if you remember, in in the last episode when we were talking about uh, Slurpees. <laughs> Slurpees. A uh, different, uh, completely different uh, business than uh, private banking, but they were also doing southbound tokens, and that was the first time we were talking about this. And uh, I wonder if we're getting into some kind of uh, trend in here because Slurpy was doing it apparently because uh, well they wanted to be in the safe side uh, when it comes to regulation. In this case, in the case of um, uh, in the Suez doing this with a southbound token, uh, it could be because of this reason as well, but they're also suggesting other reasons to, to make this, uh, this uh, NFT a soul-bound one. So what do you think about this? Um, yeah, so the, uh, the, the takeaway here is that, uh, you know, the soul-bound NFTs, which let's just scratch that word and say that they're non-transferable because that's really what we mean. I like um, soul-bound. <laughs> This industry has a really bad habit of naming things in terrible ways, but these non-transferable <laughs> NFTs then, um, they, what they do is they kind of give the bank a guarantee that they're targeting the right customer, right? If you could transfer this membership card, if you will, to anybody you want, 
I could be a customer of the bank and, you know, they know that I'm the right customer in terms of my uh, level of wealth and, and uh, engagement patterns. But if I transfer that NFT to somebody outside of that circle and now they're in the club, uh, that's not really accomplishing their goal of targeting the right audience. And so making these uh, membership passes non-transferable is an important part of ensuring that the target audience that the bank is, is looking for uh, is being segmented properly. Yeah, it's all about segmenting people, I guess. And um, one other way to segment your audience is, um, well, to, yeah, to have a different price tag than your, than other, than your competitors or the, other, um, the rest of the industry, or to be located in a region that is far away from uh, your competitors or your other, or other companies in the industry. And I, I talk about this uh, region uh, differentiation because um, the next piece of news uh, happened because a couple of people met in uh, skiing in the French uh, Alps. And uh, while skiing in the French Alps, they decided to create something. And the thing they decided to create was a Visa certified debit card for on-chain wallets by Gnosis. Uh, Gnosis has been, uh, oh, Gnosis, I don't know how to pronounce this thing. Uh, Gnosis, this company has been around for, for a while. It, became, it, it, it started, I think, as a, as a wallet. And, and then um, it's, been, it's been growing its, uh, its utility, its services, and uh, has now announced that it's going to, to launch this debit card. And, it's, and this one is going to be certified by, by Visa. Basically, the idea is that with, uh, the, um, with the crypto currencies that you hold in your, in your wallets with, uh, with Gnosis, you will be able to, to pay with a Visa card and uh, drawing from these from this funds in this, in this wallet, which um, for some... It may it may sound as something that okay makes sense is normal, but uh, for some others it, it will come as a surprise. I think we kind of spend a couple of minutes or maybe a minute explaining why this could be the, the case. But uh, but yes, um, so it's usually not the um, uh, not the not the usual way to work. One where you go with your crypto holdings, your stable coins, your your crypto coins, and you go and pay with them in the in the world because they they follow different um, systems than the traditional fiat money, right? And um, connecting these two has proved somewhat uh, difficult in the past. So this this development by Gnosis and, and Visa is um, is now for this reason uh, something that I think uh, makes out of sense and that that is a, a very important change in this in this industry and also in the way that the world is um, starting to accept uh, crypto crypto currencies and holdings in cryptocurrencies and allow them to to flow into the traditional uh, commerce i think this is a very interesting part um i, I wonder if you've had trouble trying to pay with uh, cryptocurrencies in the past well yes and that's you know, I think that's the, the play here, right? Is that <laughs> crypto has been a little bit of a walled garden when it comes to payments because you can only spend your crypto if the merchant can accept crypto. Um, so, you know, if they accept Bitcoin, great. They accept uh, ETH, great. But, you know, that's very few merchants at this stage. Uh, a little more common around the world, but not so much in the United States. Um, it's still a small fraction of merchants out there who actually accept crypto directly. Um, so it makes, you know, using your crypto in more practical ways or using it as anything other than um, sort of a buy and hold investment or a, a, you know, any kind of investment, uh, it makes it difficult. It, it, it's harder 
as just an ordinary payment medium. And connecting decentralized wallets to a Visa payment network is interesting because you know if you want to spend your crypto today, a lot of the ways that you would do that is you would have to send your crypto to an exchange, and that exchange then might issue a debit card. Right, so Coinbase has a card, and you can spend money from your exchange account. But of course, now you're relying on the exchange to hold your funds. We've seen how that can go <laughs> the wrong way pretty quickly with places like FTX, and a lot of people are skittish right now about keeping their funds with an exchange. Um, some feeling that you know just holding on to your decentralized wallet is the safer way to go. But you're back to that problem of how do I actually use this in a meaningful way? without the exchange in the middle, without a card connected to the exchange, and without a merchant that accepts crypto. And the reality is, is at that point, you don't have an option. And so Visa is creating this interesting connection now between this completely decentralized payment world, which is people holding their funds in their own crypto wallets, and connecting that to a debit card. So now I don't have to go to the exchange. Visa is effectively doing that exchange for me and getting me onto their payment network so that I can interact with merchants who don't even know anything about crypto. Um, and what's cool about that, I think, is that this is starting to uh, open open the door to a world where maybe we see a lot less difference between crypto payments and other types of payment methods. And so crypto actually just becomes part of our modern digital lives, um, very similar to the way that e-commerce just became one of the channels that we use to purchase goods. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting development. I think you know they're definitely targeting a smaller audience here. This is a niche of people who have funds in their their self custodied wallets and want to spend those. Um, but again, kind of back to the fashion example, this is setting a course and a pattern that will likely play out in the years to come as crypto becomes more prevalent and consumers look for ways to use that crypto in more practical and meaningful ways. Yeah, I don't know if you remember a few episodes back, we were talking about, probably, uh, maybe it was with a guest, but we were talking about how uh, Web3 and crypto is going to, or maybe potentially the metaverse, I don't remember, but we were talking about how these, how these new trends were going, were going to eventually establish in the way we, we work and the way we, we interact with, uh, with reality. And uh, I think it was you who, who said that, well, basically what's going to happen is that... Um, we're going to to have uh, Web three stuff uh, slowly get into our into in the, in the way we do things, and uh, without without us noticing, we will be in Web three, and um, apparently nothing changed, but everything changed, right? And in the in the in the news that we've covered today, I think we're we're seeing out of this because um, yes, in the in the Louis Vuitton one, we were talking about well, you have an NFT, and this NFT gives you access to not only another NFT, which has happened a lot in the past. But in this case, also a tangible item. So now you are you have a digital item, and this gives you access to a to a physical item. Then we talked about um, private banking and uh, how how private uh, banking is uh, starting to use NFTs. And then we talked about Gnosis and uh, making your your crypto holdings available in the traditional commerce. And I, I wonder whether you know in the future you could see then your crypto holdings um, become. Uh, also managed by a by a by a, by a private bank like uh, you know they do nowadays with uh, traditional traditional money. Uh, so everything in here is um, somewhat connected, and it, it and it means uh, it looks like you know Web three is getting slowly getting into everything uh, slowly but slowly of course because I think this is the first private bank that's doing something like this. 
And uh, as we said, uh, Gnosis is doing this and it's, uh, it's a big deal because it's, it's probably one of the first. Um, and also Lou Vuitton was also um, uh, a debutant in this. But uh, yeah, we're slowly seeing this happen. And um, yeah, it, it looks like what you said was going to happen is eventually happened. So I guess that's okay. Congrats. <laughs> well, ask me again in five or 10 years. We'll see where this all lands. But uh, I think that's a wrap for the day. So uh, thanks for covering the news with me. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be in with you. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. 